Psalm 119, verses 9 through 12. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 12. Beth, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. O Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you would now illuminate our souls, our hearts, to receive and hear your word and do a mighty work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, as we journey through Psalm 119, we are seeing it's the expression of truth through the convictions, commitments, and petitions of a godly man who loves God's word and sees his utter reliance upon God to receive and know and live out that word. You might remember in our last study of Psalm 119, two weeks ago, we remember that God has given us and entrusted us with exceedingly great and precious promises. And so we are compelled, we are driven by faith to seek the Lord and his mercy, that we may walk in his ways, that we may keep his statutes, because they are life to us. And we remember that the law, the law of God is truth eternal. And we know that the law of God, it condemns the sinner. But... It's the law that awakens us to our sins and keeps us in constant dependency upon Christ for life. And so, the Christian loves the law of God. And we were left with a question. Are we learned and practiced in his statutes so that we may praise him with a pure heart, that we may be confident, steadfast in the Lord, uncompromising in hope, unflinching in faith, unshakable when the trials comes, and unwavering in belief. And now today, in verses 9 through 12, the psalmist is going to focus pretty much on one thing, and that's the pursuit of holiness. How can the Christian be holy? How can the Christian live a godly life? And so there's a focused theme in these four verses, a common thread And that is that faith is exhibited in the importance of knowing God's word and our reliance on him to receive and live that word. And so I want you to remember this thread that runs through the text, through these four verses, tying all these elements together. And I've summarized it in this way. The aspiration of a holy life requires living on God's word by a complete dependency upon him alone, which propels our faith into action and a desire to know his word more and more. So with that introduction, let us engage now in this text and partake of what the Lord has for us. Verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? And this is really the burning question for every Christian, isn't it? How am I going to grow up and become a godly man or woman of God? 
Because at every moment, it seems like the world and the flesh and the devil are pushing against me. They're trying to push me off into apostasy. Or maybe worse, push me into some lukewarm state of self-dependence. Yet every redeemed man and woman needs to set this question before themselves. See, there's something understood in this passage, and that is that a cleansing, a purifying must take place. A removing of the dross to reveal the gold, a hard heart turns soft. And God tells us in his word that the sins of the youth must be cleared away. That original sin we inherited from Adam and Eve, the, for foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. So that's our starting point. It's a heart full of foolishness. So the godly man or woman must do two things by God's grace. One, they must be cleansed from the past sins. You must be cleansed from the past sins. And secondly, the godly man or woman must steer clear of the temptation sins, tempting sins that are ahead. Now Paul strongly exhorted Timothy about this. He said, flee youthful passions. Flee. It's like to run away as fast as you can. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, so that we can be used by God, vessels of honor, sanctified and useful for the Master's good and perfect purposes. Now, as we contemplate this, I know that the pursuit to live a holy, godly life is in many ways a conundrum. It's sometimes a mystery. Sometimes we think, how can it be done? But I just encourage us all together to not shrink away from it today because it is the most glorious life. It is God's will for you. So don't give up and turn aside, but let's seek together and find and pursue how we may enter into it by faith. And so the psalmist then proceeds to provide an answer to his own question. How can a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed according to his word. By guarding. By keeping watch on himself according to God's word. In other words, he cleanses his way, he keeps his way pure, he conforms his whole life to God's word. So firstly, you must read the word. You must read it. You must study it. And as we've said, we read books, but we study the Bible. We consume it. We engage it. It pierces us consistently by the Spirit. And secondly, the word must be applied. This is what our verse is getting at. Taking heed according to his word. The word is a, is a lamp. It's a, it's a light. It's a map, some have said. So you can have the Bible in your hands. You could even memorize this whole thing. But unless you take heed, unless you put it into practice, unless you use it and apply it, it has no value. So by faith, take heed. Conform your life around it and apply it to your life. Our boys have a, a fort out in the back of the woods. It's kind of down and across the valley. And I remember it was late one night. I think it was raining pretty heavily and uh, pitch dark. And they had forgot that they had left something in the fort. And so they just ran out there, you know, to go get whatever their valuable was. And they came back in. <laughs> of course, they're soaking wet. 
But of course, most three of them had fallen down and gotten injured and tripped on logs and things like that. And it was entertaining because those of us that stayed back in the house kind of looked at them and said, you know, we have flashlights, don't you? But, but, but do we do that? Do we do that with this? Do we, do we leave it sometimes? Or do we take it? Is it in us? And then is it upshined and applied to our circumstance, molding our whole life around it? Taking heed is keeping watch on ourselves. We are exhorted really to, do, to compare things here. You have something happen in life. All of us have things happen in life, right? And then we're to take the word of God and, 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 see, and see how it informs us to the situation, right? So you have a circumstance. We're to hold up the word of God and say, what does the word say I should do about this circumstance? You have a decision to make. Hmm, what does the word say I should do about that? Someone offends you. How should I respond? Hmm. What does the word say about that? Right? And on and on, right? You get in a trial. You are afflicted. What does the word of God say to do? And so this is taking heed. This is taking that word and really applying it to our lives to guard and keep watch. Spurgeon said, Let each man, whether young or old, who desires to be holy, have a holy watchfulness in his heart, and keep his holy Bible before his open eye. Keep an open eye. Keep an open eye. The narrow, difficult path of the Christian life was never successfully taken by chance, but by intentional, deliberate, watchful faith. So how can a young man cleanse his way? Notice, that's an interesting word, isn't it? Cleanse. There's a cleaning operation of God going on here. Don't just read the word like a magazine, casually, but be ready to be cleaned, right? Sometimes cleaning is painful. Has anyone ever gotten like bad road rash or maybe a bad, really bad scrape? It just happened to me, I don't know, a few weeks ago. I crashed on my bike and my whole leg, but it, could, oh, it was terrible. But you know when that happens... And you go to the hospital, you know what they say? We need to clean that thing out. And you're thinking, what? No. That is, it already hurts and you're not even touching it yet. And so this nurse comes out with these chemicals and, the, and these brushes. And you're like, no thanks, I'm good. They're like, we need to clean that out, sir. And so it is with the word of God. We study it, we know it, we employ it, we turn on that flashlight and bring everything into counsel into the Word of God. See, we clean with laundry detergent and shampoo, but God cleans with light and truth. And so we need to be welcoming of these ministers of God, these cleaning agents, right? Welcome the light, be open, be exposed to the truth. Nothing to hide, but grounding in truth, testing all things. Taking heed is keeping watch. You remember the, the shepherds at Jesus' birth? Remember what they were doing? Keeping watch by night. There's a little picture there on your notes. Are we keeping watch over our souls? Proverbs 4 says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. I think Mr. Roach referenced wellspring. 
So I'm just going to kind of call the question to all of us today that, that this scripture is asking. Are you taking heed to the word? And if so, how are you taking heed to his word? You know, these are great questions we can ask each other just even today, right after church. These are the kind of questions and love that we should, we should pose to one another with an inquisitive, open heart. Ask, brother, sister, how do you take heed according to God's word? How do you keep your way pure, ma'am? You know, we, we have small talk, and I think that's great, and that's important, and that's important for relationship. And then, with that transparency, we get to the depths of questions like this, of what, what is God doing in our lives, how we can gird one another up and strengthen one another up, bolster our souls in the faith, and talk about these lasting things, these spiritual matters, taking heed according to his word. You know, the number one way to keep your way pure is to seek God in his way. William Plumer said, the surest mode of cleansing the way of our life is to seek after God himself and to endeavor to abide in fellowship with him. So make sure you're in fellowship with God. Be an inquirer of how God will cleanse your way and take heed. So having laid out that that truth, simple truth, that the holy pursuit comes by a continual alignment more and more to God's word, the psalmist now really reflects that on his own life in verse 10. Take a look at verse 10. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. So the psalmist really responds now to his own question, doesn't he? And this is pretty instructive for us. He, he contemplates, am I taking heed according to God's word? And this is how we should really read God's word for all of us, right? It's how the Puritans would often instruct, how we're transformed in the renewing of the mind. We read, we meditate on the scripture, or we consider it, we apply it to our life, and then we pray for that conviction. Read, meditate, pray. And so, it, every scripture, we know that every scripture is holy and ordained by God. Every single comma, every word, every, everything in here. And so, when you read the word, again, it's not casual, but it demands something from you. It's living. We read that in Hebrews. It's living and sharp and active. It's a two-edged sword. So, we read the word, and we must respond to it with our lives. We can't just set it down like a good novel and go about our way. We, we have to respond to it. You have to say, does my life align to this or not? What do I need to do to, to change my life to align with this truth? And that's what the psalmist does here. Look, look at verses 9 and 10 in your Bible. You can see what he does. In verse 9, the psalmist just states the truth. That's the truth of God. And then... He reflects on it in verse 10, right? Well, God, I've, I've sought you with everything I have to please you. But then, right as soon as he says that, he realizes he can't do it by himself, can he? So he cries out. Right after he's made this declaration, he cries out and says, Oh God, let me not wander from your commandments. Because he knows he's dependent upon God. 
He knows he needs God. And so that's what we do. We read, we meditate, we pray. Read, apply it, respond. Meditation is really the time of conviction. It's not, it's not the time always of utter peace, like the Hindus and Buddhists want you to think. It's a time of conviction. It's when the Holy Spirit does that cleansing work. And so it's more likely, and after your time of meditation, that you're going to end up on the floor crying than in some yoga position. And so also notice the immediacy. This is instructive to us. The psalmist's heart is pricked, and he goes right to God, even in his writing. It's like God's right beside him, his constant companion, like he's always talking to him. And that's how we should be. He says a statement, and he immediately cries out to God for help. Let's look closely at the meditations of the psalmist here when he says, With my whole heart I have sought you. This is a heart that is abiding closely with God. This is a deep work of the inner man. The psalmist is calling for obedience to God's law from from a deep-seated faith in the Lord, in his heart. He doesn't just want an external obedience to God's law. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, God, on the outside, I've done everything you told me to do. No, he's saying, God, in my heart, inside, it's a rooted, genuine, heart-based love for God. Right? Sometimes in real estate, we'll say that a house has good bones. Have you ever heard of that? It's kind of trying to find a positive attribute for a rundown house, typically. But it's actually true. Because really, that's what matters in many ways, right? In many ways, there's sort of the critical heart infrastructure, and then there's sort of the cosmetic. And we don't want to just be the, the good-looking ones. We want to have pure, genuine hearts that love God, don't we? And we know out of that will flow everything on the outside. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. So, again, the results of the self-examination. And I th- it's just, again, so instructive to us. This is how we are to read the word. Read the word and self-examine. Do I do this? Am I like this? Am I living this way? Right? He's applied all he has to living for God. With my whole heart. But he knows it's not enough to keep his way straight. He is supremely dependent upon God. And so again, he launches into prayer. Let me not wander. Just teaches us an important lesson, doesn't it? That the man and woman of God does not exert, does not just exert himself independently. He exerts by faith, and then he does not even trust in himself, but he trusts in God. Which brings us to this idea of wandering from God's commandments. Now, we all know the dangers of wandering, don't we? Maybe you've been hiking or something like that, and you might wander off a trail, get lost. That can be pretty bad. But I think a better application for our day might be driving. Because we live in a fast life, don't we? Everybody's going fast. Information flows quickly. Communications happens quick. Seems like we're all busy. It's like we're all traveling down the highway. We're not walking along a meadow trail. So let's apply it to that. What are the dangers of our vehicle going off the road at 60 miles an hour? Let's think about it this way. 
Let's say you're driving out here on Highway 86, which the speed limit's 55 miles an hour, FYI. How long can you just take a break? Just take your eyes off the road, read a book, you know, take a nap. How long? Three seconds? Five seconds? Ten seconds? Okay, if you don't die, you know that you and probably someone else are going to be very, very injured, right? Ten seconds? I mean, that is not that long. But this is how it is in the Christian life. I mean, I know I've, I've even thought I can turn off my brain for hours at a time. But ten seconds? I mean, that, that's dangerous, isn't it? And so we cannot go wandering off the path of the Christian life, away from God's commandments. We must stay focused and fixed and close. We can only keep from wandering off the path of holiness by walking with God in holiness, looking for the holy way amidst the winds of life. Simon Kistemaker said, if the heart is occupied with the world's pleasure, there is little room for heavenly joys. A godly assurance of the present favor of God is weakened by self-indulgence, unwatchfulness, allowance of secret sins, and neglect of secret duties. There's another great question we could ask one another. What are your godly disciplines, and how are you doing in them? So we don't just wander, but we stay focused. We train ourselves to godliness. That's what Paul said. Finding out what is good and acceptable to the Lord. But as we see, the psalmist cries out for help. Back to that thread. Holy living is by a complete dependency upon God, which propels us then to action in faith, action of training, staying close to his word that we might not be distracted. So wandering is a departure off of a a planned course, isn't it? Or out of place. And I want to give you just two quick illustrations of what this wandering might look like. And one is that of a boat going adrift. And so we, we all know that any boat in any body of water, it has to be tied down, maybe against a pier or out at sea with an anchor. Otherwise, it's just going to slowly drift and move away. And so... So much for the Christian, it is. We, we have to be rooted and grounded in the truth or we will just slowly drift away. And secondly, another picture, some of you understand in flying, flying aircraft, that wandering off trajectory, even slightly, is very significant. Do you know, if you're just one degree off on your heading that you're flying, and you go 60 miles, by the time you get there, you'll be a mile off your intended course. Can you imagine, I'm going to go land at DIA, and you're a mile away? Well, so it is with us. We, we cannot even be slightly off. That's why we cannot distort the word of God. No, we have to stay true to it. We have to stay true to our trajectory. We cannot drift. We cannot wander. And this aligns, of course, with what we just said, keeping our way pure before God, remaining in close communion with him is critical, and this comes by being humble and receiving the gospel of Christ. So upon realizing this incomprehensible treasure of God's word, the psalmist now recognizes the critical importance of the truth in his life. 
And he's quickened by the grave consequences of wandering from God's law. And so he now, in, in verse 11, gives an honest understanding. Verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hiding God's word in our heart. Now, we often relate this to the practice of memorizing scripture, right? And amen, that's good. We certainly, we certainly should, and that's actually very important for every Christian. But look here, the psalmist hides or keeps the word in his heart for a very specific purpose. It's so that he might not sin against God. Right? So we see here that he's learned that the word serves as a, a protector, a defender of sorts, a ready weapon against the temptation to sin. The ESV renders it this way, I treasure your word. So that word is, is kept, it's held up, it's stored up for ready, constant use, almost like a storehouse of something you have, you're ready to employ. And so this is, this is indeed memorizing scripture, but it's also several, several other things. It's memorizing it and then having such a deep closeness by faith with the word that you can apply it and utilize it and put it into practice. And so I want to give you five actions that the word of God does. Five of actions when we hide or treasure the word in our heart. Number one, storing up God's word readies us. It readies us for spiritual battle. So it's much more than kind of an acquaintance with the word, but it's a deep understanding that is continually employed, and it sets a pattern in our life. It it sets up a routine, right? As as Romans 12 says, that you may be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. It readies us for spiritual battle. Number two, it defends us. It defends us. The psalmist says that I might not sin against you. And this, you remember, this is what Jesus did when he was tempted by Satan, right? Since Christ had that storehouse of God's truth in his heart, he responded with the truth and the devil flee, right? That's exactly what we're to do. And remember that 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 falls under this question. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Right? So when we're faced with a situation in life, men and women of God, how will you respond? Do you have the word of God stored up, treasured up, held up in your heart so that you're not dependent on your own inclinations, but you, you have that storehouse to employ? Number three, it arms us. The word of God arms us as a spiritual weapon. But it's really not like any other weapon. It's because it's, it's employed spiritually. It's tailored by God for the situation. Remember, the word of God is living and powerful. It's active. The sword of the spirit of God. So if we have it ready at our side, if we have it stored up, it's there to use, right? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 
They're not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. This is the mightiest weapon in the earth. Do you believe that? This is the mightiest weapon on the earth. Remember that. This, you're, you, you love to sword fight, little boys, don't you? you like, I mean, my boys will go out in the woods and just find any stick, and all of a sudden we're sword fighting. Well, young men, be men of God. This is your sword. Be able to wield it well. I remember um, for some 15, 20 years ago, somebody gave me a going-away gift, and it was a German Zweihander, which is a, which is a two-handed, four-and-a-half-foot blade sword. It's so heavy, I can barely swing it around. It's really cool, guys. But you have to be, you have to be trained and employed to swing this thing. You have to know it. It has to get in your heart. You can't just pick it up. And throw it around. Employ it by faith. By trusting in God. Number four. The word of God spiritually fuels us. Jesus says a man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word rises up within us and propels us to faith. Remember, remember Colossians 3.16, right? Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly, that it may be of ready use. You know, there are several testimonies. I had a face-to-face encounter with this a long time ago, 2001, uh, of people who were raised in godly Christian homes, okay? They were raised in Christian homes, and they were actually taught to memorize a lot of Scripture. Their parents were very faithful and actually joyful and encouraging the Word and memorizing Scripture. And... And some of these people, some of these testimonies, they grew up and they rejected God. And they actually bought into the lie of homosexuality and lived that life. And you know what their testimony is? That the conviction of God brought back all that scripture that was stored up in them. One of them said it was just like the word was just pounding on their brain, tormenting them. Wouldn't let them go. And so they repented because they just couldn't escape it. They had something stored up. And they had the truth. And it was pushing against this life that they had bought into. And so remember, the word of God fuels spiritual life in us. But we must do it by faith. Number five, the word of God is always with us. Isn't that a wonderful thing if we store it up in our hearts? And this is critical because we're always on the go, aren't we? Especially today, we're so transportable. <laughs> you know, you might be at Walmart or you might be on a walk and you just don't, you didn't bring your concordance with you for that verse you wanted, <laughs> right? So we have it. We have it stored up in our heart. It's with us and it shapes us and molds us. Because the word of God is to be a treasure to our heart. It must be a treasure that we are afraid to lose. You remember Jesus' parable about the kingdom of God, right? It's, it, it's similar to the word. It's like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he hid, and with joy he went and sold all that he had so he could buy that field. It's a treasure. As we read in our uh, call to worship today, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. 
This is a treasure to us. It's a good thing to meditate on. Is the word of God a treasure to me? Is it better than gold to me? It's good to ask yourself. Where, where do, when, when women walk through crowded you know, areas of town or stadiums, where do they have their purse? Right by them, right? Really close. Because they don't want to lose that treasure, the valuable that's inside. And so it is with the word of God. If it's our treasure, we'll hold it close. It'll be our constant companion. So we hide our word in the heart that we may not sin against God. Now, the psalmist realizes, although declaring that he is hiding God's word in his heart, once again he reflects and realizes his efforts are worthless without the grace of God. So in verse 12, he says, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. These are words of, of, of uh, adoration for God. And they're rising out of, of, of admiration for God. He, he knows God. He loves God. He sees the goodness of God's truth. And he's, he really wants to emulate this, this truth that he sees. So he praises God. He's so overjoyed of clearly seeing the truth of God's law that he declared that he's saying, God, you are blessed. How do I get some of this blessedness? I want to partake of this. So he, he blesses God. And, and he says, how do I walk in this blessed way that you have laid before me, God? How can I partake of this? He's seen it. He's read it. Maybe he's lived it and experienced it. And so he cries out again, teach me your statutes. Psalmist is saying, I must, I must know your way, God. It's the only way in life for me. It's the only path in life. Do you see the confidence here? It's almost like he's making a demand to God, but with a humble heart. Teach me your statutes, right? Teach me. It's my only hope because he recognizes once again his dependency upon God. Right? He doesn't just say, well, if I just memorize the whole Bible, I'm good to go. No, no. He realizes this is a, this is a divine, spiritual, faith-filled, God-given understanding. He can't understand it without God's work in his heart. Right? So you must instruct me, God. You must refine me. You must reprove me. You must mortify my flesh and give me spiritual life. But to receive teaching, what do we need? We need a teacher. And thankfully, by the word of God, we have the teacher. He's just not a good teacher or even the best algebra teacher. He's the teacher because he's teaching his content that he made. He made the truth, right? He is the truth. And so we must receive and submit to the teaching of God. Remember that thread that keeps running through the passage. This is, this is the cry of those who want to cleanse and purify their way. So how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to God's word. So this could be really a daily prayer for each of us. Right? Teach me your statutes today, God. What a great way to maybe wake up and start the day. God, I'm alive. 
You've had the sun come up again. Here I am. You're sustaining me. Oh, God, teach me your way today. What will you teach me today, God? Keep my eyes open to you. Not my way, not my will, but yours be done. Make me open to that, God. I look forward to what I'm going to learn today and grow in you. So that means we just need to ask ourselves, are we willing to be shaped by God, molded and fashioned by his hand? The Apostle Paul said, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, when we bless God, as the psalmist did here, we give him all the glory and we take none for ourselves. That's when we're taught by the teacher. That's how we know him. We conform to him. So we must be that clay. Submit to the potter with joy. For you know he has the very best for you. You are his son. You are his daughter. All things working together for good according to his purpose, no matter what he brings. Though our outer self is wasting away, the inner self, the inner man and woman, is being renewed day by day. This is the ceaseless, restorative work of God in our hearts. So in conclusion, we've seen how aspiring after a holy life requires living on God's word by a complete dependency upon God alone, which propels our faith to action and a desire to know his word more and more. So, brothers and sisters, we are dependent upon God for this work. Each of these petitions and these, these four verses, it shows how the psalmist is helpless to lead a holy life if left to himself. But he's completely reliant upon God for any advancement that he could hope to make in the knowledge of the truth. It's only by the grace of God implanting within us a deep faith-driven desire, guiding us and enabling us to have the right view, treasuring his word so that we can rightly walk daily before God and man. So the call today to all of us is to cleanse our way, to purify our hearts, to walk a holy life, the good life, in close communion with God, taking heed according to his word. So may we, together, as a body, seek to know God more. May we be more moldable to his truth. May we be those vessels of honor and glory that he may conform us to his image and fill us with the fullness of his goodness. May we richly value the blessings of the teaching of our God. And may we by faith live our life according to them and walk in the blessedness of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a precious word it is by which we call to you with a dependency, a reliance on you alone, God, that we can pick up and read this word, but it's by faith, it's by that convicting, cutting work of the Spirit by which we will know your truth more, and then by your grace through faith that we can live it out as you propel us into action. Oh God, we ask that you would do this work in each of us individually now, but also together as a body, that we would grow and aspire and strive 
to lay our own lives down and our own considerations down and lean, lean in to the word of God by a trust in you. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.